And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Susan Coleman, who during her near-death experience spent time with her friends on the other side, which today we're going to learn about and more. Susan, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thank you for letting me be here. Susan, you've actually had two NDEs, so let's start with the first one. The first one was when I was in an automobile accident and I was in a forerunner and I ran off the road and it went around and around and around and threw me off out the window. But it was right before the cutoff of the road to the Baptist hospital and it was at 6.30 in the morning. And all of these people were going to work at the hospital. So a bunch of them stopped and made me be still and not move around. And then they took me to the hospital. Then they flew me to the bed, which was a trauma center where I stayed in a coma for six months with three breaks in my neck and my lungs had ex. Let's see what you say. They deflated. They they broke. And so I stayed on a ventilator for six months, which is really unusual. But my mother and me being an only child, they went ahead and did it. But I didn't. What I did was during this time, my memory is of sitting on top of of a single wide trailer with a lady named Kathy and her mother-in-law who had passed within the year of cancer. And we sat on this trailer and I don't have any time estimated of how long we were sitting there, but we sat there and I remember looking down and watching my children play in the ground and ride on the swings and have fun. And I kept thinking, I can't leave. I want to stay with my children. I just can't do this. But we just sat there and sat there and sat there. And then all of a sudden I came out of the coma <laughs> and it was six months. And so then they, took me into some other room and I remember that I was not allowed to have anything to drink because of my lungs. So everything had to be solid. And then the insurance people said, well, we paid enough. She's got to go home. <laughs> so they took me home in a wheelchair and I was not to be left alone, but they got some neighborhood kid that was about 14 to sit with me and take me to physical therapy, which she didn't do, but she was young and that's how it happened. So I knew if I wanted to do better, I had to do it myself. And that's what I did slowly and surely. I got up out of that and I learned to walk and I learned all of it. It was tough, but it's like, I don't know how to explain it. I hate to say hard-headed, but I wasn't going to stop until I got my 
wish given to me right here. I I was not going to sit in a wheelchair forever. So that basically, I got up and did good, and I was able to get a job. And in fact, I started doing substitute teaching at South Panola High School in Batesville. So I recovered really well. It just took a little while. Do you remember any of the conversations you had with your friends on the other side? I think the main thing I remember is where are we and where did you come from and this type of thing kind of a confusion thing because i guess in my mind i didn't didn't realize where i was which in a way i didn't i just knew i was sitting there and that one lady i didn't know very well the other lady i did but my main conversation was, those are my children and I want to go back. I've got to take care of my babies, which they weren't babies, but it was my big to-do. I have to go back. I have to go back. If I'm given a choice, I have to go back. But I don't think that was the choice. I think the choice came on the second NDE. Did that NDE change you in any way? Not really. The second one is the one that did change me unbelievably. All right. Because after the first one, I just basically was in survival mode. So nothing like this ever happened again. And let me get up and let me walk and let me learn to do this. And I've got to take a bath and just basic stuff. But the big change happened in the second NDE. Well, let's move forward to the second NDE. On the second NDE, I was unable to keep working because of the back injury from the first NDE. (laughs) So I worked for a long time for a cleaning company. And when it got to where I couldn't perform the duties, I just gave you know, notice had stopped. And then, because I couldn't pay bills, I put my stuff in storage and moved it to a shelter in Tupelo, a homeless shelter. I also had to give away my dog, and that's what really tore me up, because I loved my dog. (laughs) He was like my family. So, While I was in the shelter, I had too many strokes. They sent me to a neurologist in Corinth who agreed that I probably had too many strokes, but who sent me right back to the shelter. So then after that, I lost control of my mouth and I could barely walk and all this stuff was going on. So... The Salvation Army said, you can't stay here. So they sent me to the hospital. And then I called my former preacher to come get me in Batesville and said, what do we do now? So he took me to the hospital in Batesville and told me, you sit right here until they admit you because you're sick. So I sat there a couple of days. And then 
I think they went back there and checked on me a couple of times and said, no, we can't admit you, but basically I didn't have insurance for a job. And then the last time they kept me over and said, no, you can't be admitted. And this is what's even something else. <laughs> I went up there and I told them that's what they said. And I said, where is your lady's room? And they told me, I turned around and made a few steps and fell flat because I had a major stroke in the ER waiting room under the cameras with all the people after they denied treatment. So I got the best treatment you ever saw in your life. <laughs> and what was so bizarre, I thought it was because these are such nice people. They'll do anything. And that didn't help really work. But I did get good treatment. And then I ended up going to Memphis to have neck surgery. Now, somewhere in between there, I never really asked why I was having neck surgery because I was so drugged up on Dilaudid. They just believed in Dilaudid. And boy, they gave it to me even when I didn't want it. So they did all this surgery and they decided that I needed a feeding tube. So I went a week without eating so they could do the feeding tube and we got the feeding tube. And then they decided, well, you can't live here the rest of your life. You have to go to a nursing home and die there. So, okay. And so they decided to send me to Clarksdale Nursing Home in Clarksdale, Mississippi, which is the Delta, which is the poorest place you've ever seen, which was fine. <laughs> you know, I was paralyzed from the neck down. But I had this thing on my neck. And I was so drugged up, I didn't, you know, I didn't really ask the proper questions I should have asked. And so during this time, I agree, okay, we'll do that. Now directly, let me backtrack a little bit, directly after the heart attack and the stroke, which was right, okay, I had the stroke first, and then I had the heart attack, and they were both in the hospital. And so they called my son in, and I'm on life support, and he shuts it down, because he says, it's time for you to go. Well, no, it's not time for me to go. I didn't go nowhere. <laughs> So basically during that time, I remembered hearing them call him on the phone that, you know, she's had a heart attack, she's had a stroke and I know you need to come here. So he came there. And after he came there, I remember hearing something go click. And after the click, I felt more peace and more joy and more of, I've never felt like that in my life, ever. 
I mean, even as a child, when you're waiting on Santa Claus to bring Christmas and you're so happy, and it was just totally different. Never have I felt that way, ever. And I've never felt that way again. But after the click and me feeling that way, I was up top of the room and I was looking down at my son who was sitting there crying. He was just crying his eyes out. And I couldn't really, I don't, well, it could have been pressure from his daddy and his wife that did that. Because even though during the divorce, he kept the everything, he kept the tractor and the house and the everything. I just wanted not to live with him and his girlfriend be nice about it so I got out of that so when I saw my son crying like that I thought I've got to go back I've just got to go back so it was like I had a choice and the choice I wanted to go back to see if I could help my son but at the same time the choice of the peace and the joy and the happiness is something you just can never explain or imagine. But I said, no, I'll go back. <laughs> so I went back. And so then fast forward a bit, I went to Clarksdale Nursing Home, paralyzed from the neck down. And the nurse who was my roommate slowly but surely taught me to feed myself and taught me how to tippy toe on these leisure chairs to move them around. And because of that, they finally put me in a wheelchair because I kind of proved I could do it. <laughs> but there was no physical therapy given me there because I'm not supposed to be alive. So I had none. <laughs> but that nurse did what we needed to do it. So that was a really, really good thing with her being there. And then they voted me head of resident managers. I was head of all the residents there to make decisions and stuff. So that was a good thing. I enjoyed doing that, being involved in that, because I could move around in that wheelchair then. <laughs> Right before I left there, I was given a hysterectomy, which I needed, but they made a mistake when I left the nurse at home, they forgot to take the fentanyl patch off of the top of my shoulder, and we were running late. And they take me right into surgery, and I overdose on fentanyl. Yes, this was right when Trump was jumping up and down about opioids. And so they called my son back in and he says, don't bother me. I'm working in this Christmas at FedEx and I can't do this. And so I said, well, no, we won't call you no more. <laughs> I really did. But. I stayed in the room in the hospital for about a week. 
because they were concerned about what to do with me. They really didn't want me to go back to that nursing home because of what happened. But there was only one other nursing home in Clarkston. So after a week, I went ahead and signed the papers and went back to the former nursing home that made the mistake. Still, I had some friends here in Water Valley and they knew what happened. And within a month, I was up here. And it all happened real quick because the lady came like on a Friday to interview me to move up here. And they came Monday morning and picked me up. So that's kind of my life. It has no explanation, but it's like I beat the odds. How is it's your the best place? Yes, sir. How is your health at this time? You would be stunned. <laughs> you would really be stunned. Right now, I have a lot of black issues, and I've got, they say I've got CMPD from probably being on that ventilator for six months because you don't do that. <laughs> um, I have a lot of lower back trouble. But they're putting me back into physical therapy. Then I will start this week and I will probably go for about three months with that. And that seems to help a lot. I'm conscious of my food. I have a lady from Medicaid comes in and does all the really hard work like muffin and sweeping, really hard cleaning and doing laundry and stuff for me. So really, I've got it kind of easy, but at the same time, I don't push either. Did you ever have a conversation with your son about how you saw him from outside of your body? My son, now when I was in Clarksdale, they had a Thanksgiving dinner feast. And for some reason, that's the only time I have seen him. And he showed up and I could barely get him to talk to me. He showed me a few pictures of his children that I've never meet, met, and I probably never will. <laughs> but his whole deal was his wife didn't like me and his daddy didn't like me. And that was why he had to do what he had to do. It was his daddy got him a great job at FedEx. His daddy made like twelve hundred a week. He bought him a dirt track car. He bought him a house. He bought, you know, he bought him. It's what he did. And his wife knew he liked the money too, and so he was bought and paid for. It's what it was because I couldn't afford that. You were in a place that was so blissful and so amazing. Once you came back, were you angry or depressed that you weren't, you know, in that blissful state anymore? That is a good question. Though, what I did, and this is my secret, it really is the way I work things. When people are really sick and their relatives are there. They're all upset and biting their fingernails and going nuts and oh, 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 what are we gonna do? Well, I didn't have all that. When I came back, what I did this entire time was what I call surf without waves. 
I did not worry about anything. I just surfed it and just kept on going. And I didn't worry and I didn't ponder and I just did what I wanted to do. And that when they took the feeding tube out, which was amazing because they've a feeding tube has a balloon at the end of it so it won't come out. Well, in Clarksdale, they had taught me to eat enough so they wanted the feeding tube out. So they took me to some doctor and he was in shock because the balloon was never plated. It was never a balloon. It was just a straight thing. And he said, it doesn't make any sense why you were kept alive on this feeding tube without a balloon, but I was. And so that is my, the way I get around stuff is I don't worry, I don't fret, I just surf it and keep going. Have the memories of these NDEs faded over time? Oh, they stay with me because they're real. And the more I study about spirituality that's my mother was very spiritual and i kind of understand why she was that way now and the more i study that the more it makes a lot of sense to me do you fear death at all no <laughs> because i've been there and done it <laughs> i have and that's the one thing i think a lot of people do things because they're scared they will die. Well, I have died and I didn't stay dead and I came out. When you die, it's not like they say. I don't go with different religions now because there's too much man-made stuff in them. It's like, who is right? Is this religion right? Is that religion right? Or no, no, no. Who, you know, and I just basically have my own thing going here. But I'm not afraid of death. I wouldn't pursue death because there's a lot I want to still do in my life. In fact, my life now is I want to live to be the age of one, two, three. And when you listen to people, they say people are made biologically where they can live to be over 100 if they do right. So I've already beat the odds, so let's try. What do you find surprising about your experiences? It's not bad. People, you know, I've made some speeches at different places about don't give up. Even like if a doctor says you've got two years, you're going in two years. Don't give up. Doctors do what they can do and they have their tools and that's great. But don't give up. And so many people do. They just really do. You were watching your children from the other side during your NDE. Do you feel yes. do you feel like the other side is just right here, like in a different vibration or something? I do now that I study that. Because I've studied, see, I don't know if my wording is right, simulation. Like, are we in two different things at one time? 
And I have seen pictures of time travelers. There's a couple that I see a lot of where it's like back in the 1940s. It's some railway station and you've got a guy there talking on a cell phone in a t-shirt with a rock group on it. I'm, you know, and you know that it is not from the 1940s. Little things like that. I don't think, I just don't, I think there's more than this. If I'm, I don't know how to explain it. I've tried. I think that there is but possibly maybe one or two worlds going on at one at time. Just like ETs. If God made us, why would he just make us? Why not? He's got a whole universe. Why not make lots of people? After either one of your NDEs, did you notice that you happened to have new abilities that you didn't have before? I noticed after my second one that I was more, I was not shy, I was not anxious. I was like a different person. It was like I focused on what I wanted and that's what I did. The first NDE, I was not in good shape at all because I had to do my own physical therapy and my own everything. And that was a little bit different. But the second one, it was, I had help in the nursing homes, but it totally changed me that second one did i'm not the same person at all is there anything about your ndes that inspire you to help others realize that there's more to life than what you realize it's not all cut and dried so many people you know, get up, go to work, come home, go to bed, do this, da da da. That's all there is. Well, there's not. There's, you can go gliding if you want to. You can ride a hot air balloon. All these dreams people have, where do they go? Do they pursue them? No, they say, oh, I'm too old now. I can't do that. But it don't work that way. You can. There's so many things, so many dreams that people put on the shelf. If you had a friend that lost a loved one and they were upset about it, what kind of advice would you give them? That's good. I just did that. Uh, she was missing her husband who passed away seven years ago. And what I told her is that one day she will see him again and that he may be part of the welcoming crew for her when she passes. And she she didn't quite believe that, but I, I did my best with that, that he's not, you know, unless... He did the reincarnation and went on his own, but I think he would probably stay and wait for her because they were that close. Are you saying that you believe in reincarnation? Yes. 
Why do you think we come here to the earth in the first place? I think we come to learn, and I do know this, that after both of my parents died, I would see little signs that only I would know. My mother had a thing about little ladybugs. You never kill ladybugs. Well, in the middle of the winter, when I moved into this apartment, which is a nicer place, I see little ladybugs outside in the middle of winter. So I said, okay, mom's happy. My daddy had a thing about change. He would leave change for the popsicle men up on the shelf. And if I wanted to buy a toy or something, I would shine his shoes for 50 cents a pair of change. And, you know, you, I would just see change just anywhere. You know, maybe 50 cents, maybe a dollar, maybe, you know, it, I would think, yeah, that's Daddy, wherever he is, he's here somewhere. I do, my mother believed in reincarnation exclusively, and she followed Edgar Casey, and she even worked for a psychic for a while. And I backed off because of pressure from people around me that went to church that said, oh, you'll burn in hell if you believe that. And I just didn't, I didn't know. I was just playing it safe is what I did. Do you feel like you have a mission here? And if so, what is it? My first thought is to be happy. <laughs> but at the same time, the world is hurting. And there is so much false information out there. And I would like somehow to, up, well, I guess you would say up the vibration where people would basically go with the flow and do like I did and surf without waves. And, because a lot of things are out of our control. Everybody went nuts about the deficit. Even I was not too happy, but they figured it out. So that would be it, because there's only so much we could control in our world, but to be happy and do things we love to do, we can control that. If it makes you happy to eat a box of crackers and hot dogs, go for it. <laughs> Why not? I think that's great advice that we can't control everything. And to put it the way you say it, we just surf the waves with whatever we can control or just yes. surf the waves and ride life. Yes. That's what you have to do or else you'll, it's kind of a waste if you don't do that. Cause it's like you sit you know, some people, when they retire, I'm old, they go home and sit down and wait to die. And to me, that's useless. You need to do something, even if it's get a color book and color, paint my number or something. Just do something you really enjoy. A lot of people talk about manifestation. And so that's kind of like, you know, creating your life or making things yes, happen. Yes, yes. But... Since we can't control much in our lives, do you think it's kind of a waste of time manifesting and it's better to just ride the waves of life instead? No, I believe in manifestation because I've done it. 
but at the same time, it's like a thin line. It's a very thin line there. And everybody's got their own procedure to do it. And like, let's see, what did I manifest? I'm trying to manifest a car now because I don't have one. <laughs> we'll see if that happens. Who knows? But I'm, this is one thing I did do. This is very good about manifestation. When I first got out of the nursing home, I was in the Bridge to Independence program by the government. So they bought all my furniture and supplies, and, but they set me up in a Section 8 apartment that was not good. So I said, well, I can't live here much longer. I, you know, I've got to get out of here. So what I did was I made a deal with the grocery store and they started saving me egg boxes with handles and I started putting them in the storage part. And the newspaper people saved me newspapers. So I started saving newspapers. Basically, I was getting ready to move with nowhere to move <laughs> what I was doing. And I mean, I really was. And so it turns out I started looking at different places, but still collected stuff as if I knew I was going tomorrow. I will leave here and I will be ready to go. And so what happened is the place I'm at now, my landlady remembered me from when I lived in Batesville, Mississippi. And I came to see her and she rented me an apartment. And what was even better, because she knew who I was, I didn't have a way, who, how am I going to move? You know, I don't have a moving company. I have me with no car. So a nurse I knew, knew another nurse whose husband had a truck, a tractor trailer truck. And so he come and looked at my stuff and he said, I'll move you for $800. I said, well, I don't have $800. He says, what can you pay? I said, a couple of hundred dollars. He said, well, you're a nice lady. I'll move you for $200. So he shows up with two other guys with forklifts and all this stuff. And I spend, basically, I got moved in five days <laughs> over here. And there was the most amazing thing about that was the apartment she wanted me to have. They had yet to move everything out. So she moved me into another one with a brand new refrigerator, a brand new stove, brand new everything in this place. Everything's brand new but the bathtub because the lady had lived here for years and years and it passed away. So I get a great place to live here. And in five days, I'm in here. <laughs> and then I feel like I manifested that because I believed I was going to move. I believed I had to move and I was prepared to go. And the minute they said go, no, I signed that lease. I was out the door. And it was like I signed the lease like on a Thursday and I was moved by like Monday. And that is how I did it. But at the same time, you do still have to ride surf the waves. Susan, after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? 
sure. They can ask me anything they want. What's the best way to reach you? Uh, can you put my email up there? Sure. What is it? Do you have it? It's all lowercase. Okay. It's S U N N I dot S U S A N dot R I C E at gmail.com. Sunny dot Susan dot rice at gmail.com. And I worried when they were going to pick that Susan Rice to run for vice president because I've never heard of the lady. And I thought, oh, no, I've got to change my email. But I didn't. She didn't run. So it worked. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? The tigers and the lions are very powerful. But. You never see the fox in the circus. All right. Do you want to explain? Basically, you've got to think and you've got to believe. Susan, thank you for that message. And thank you for being my guest. And thank you again. As time goes on, call her back at me and we'll see what's going on. I'll tell her what's going to be going on. And it might be interesting to people. Yeah. Or I'll keep in touch with you as something happens also. Thank right. you so much for letting me do this. Well, thank you. And don't go out and have another NDE, okay? No. No. <laughs> I'm not ready. I've got to live to be one, two, three. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm not that far yet. Exactly. Go. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.